Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week we are joined by former Congressman Barney Frank. Remember, we take your questions each episode, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can. Don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the link to this week's sponsor, HelloFresh, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It makes this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, James, we're talking about a lot of things that are anything but upbeat. Uh, it can be depressing, actually. But I'll tell you, there is something that is really upbeat. One of the greatest baseball seasons ever as we head into what promises to be sensational playoffs with a half dozen spots still undetermined with four, four days to go. Look, we're both disappointed with the demise of our once world champion Washington Nationals. But let's just look at what this season has seen. Shohei Otani of the, of the LA Angels, the most accomplished pitcher batter in the history of baseball, that includes Babe Ruth. 37-year-old Max Scherzer dealt to the Dodgers in July about to win his fourth Cy Young Award. James, I hope that we're still around to go to the Hall of Fame induction in Cooperstown for the most competitive player we've ever known. Three 22-year-olds, Juan Soto, Vladimir Guerrero, and Fernando's, Fernando Tatis, all possible MVPs, along with Otani. The St. Louis Cardinals coming out of nowhere and winning 17 straight games in September. This has been an incredible season, and I can't wait for the playoffs to start next week. Boy, you, 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 you're right. And I, if I had to rank all of the stories, I, th- I think you got them in pretty good order. Yeah. You know? Hey, uh, you know, but Otani is, is a story like no other. And, and you know, t- there's no doubt that baseball needs to do a better job of promoting itself because, you know, it's players. And, and some of these young players are just unbelievable. By the way, Bryce Harper would. You know, probably the Phillies fade has probably hurt him in the MVP. Yeah. But if they come back and, you know, he carries them for the next five games, he would be in the conversation too. Yeah. And uh, I, you, you, it, it's just, it, it, it's unbelievable the, the storylines that are emerging. But I'll tell you what I think is the biggest story. It's the San Francisco Giants. Oh. You know, it's, sports has become very predictable. You know, when usually the NBA season starts, and you, you're never really kind of shocked somebody might be, you know, you know, if it's going to be Milwaukee, it could have been the Lakers, or it might have been, the, you know, whatever. And you kind of knew Tom Brady and Tampa Bay was going to be good. Alabama's a pretty predictable story. Even LSU in 2019, people knew we were going to be good. No one saw the Giants coming. Right. And I mean, not, not just did they come. You know, if there's two games ahead of the Dodgers, they got 103 wins. I mean, it's one, yeah. one of the it, great baseball teams ever. And you just very rarely, you know, it's always on any given Sunday, anybody can win. It'll, the game's not over till the last out. You know, that shit's yeah. usually cliches. But I, I think the Giants, and I'm not yeah. a particularly, I don't know, I don't hate the Giants or like the Giants or anything like that. I've never had but much of a right. big connection to them. But, I, shit, I'm pulling for them, <laughs> you know? James, you're right. The Giants are an incredible story. You know, both the Giants and the Dodgers are going to win 103, 104 games, and one of them will be uh, in, the, in the playoff game, probably, uh, probably the Dodgers. 
And the unpredictability of baseball. I'm cheering for the Red Sox because I used to live in Boston and I just have a, some dear friends. And they go and they have a must-win series. They go to play Baltimore uh, this past week. Worst team in baseball. Their ace, Chris Sale, is on the mound. This is a sure W, right? No, they lost. Uh, so that's that's baseball. But, boys, starting next week, we're going to have a fabulous three weeks. You know, a I'm not going to pull for the Red Sox because Boston is a prosperous city and they've won like three World Series in this century. That's okay. You understand you got uh, I kind of got a, like a, a, I love Tampa Bay, you know, of course. Houston, Dusty. I love Dusty. What a story. I mean, you know, whole life in baseball, the guy who invented the high five. But I, I think that the stories are, and just my guess, no one's bored is. We are only halfway through the interesting twists that are going to happen between now and the time we crown a World Series champion, because it's the most unpredictable sport, and it's it's really not fair. In some sense, you win 103 games, and you, you, you it's all comes down to one game. But it's fairness, but it, it, it it's fun, and you're right. And this season is going to end with a bang. I, 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 I really believe that. Now, and one of the things, I, I just is nostalgia, and they, they won't do it. What I like about these playing games, or some of these games, at least you get fall afternoon baseball. Some of my greatest memories in life are, you know, when the weather got a little cool in Louisiana after a brutal summer, and it would be an afternoon baseball game on. And you'd put it on at school, or you would go home and you would watch the end of it. You'd watch it on Saturday. And I, I know economically, it, at some level, it makes no sense. But I, I love these afternoon fall baseball oh, games. I, I, yeah. I, maybe it's, I'm, I'm, it's nostalgic and never happen again, but I just love it. I agree with you. And the only thing that prevents these playoffs from being perfect, I mean perfect, is if Otani and Soto were in them, uh, they'd be perfect. But I tell you, I, have, I can't ever remember, James, a playoffs that I look forward to as much uh, and I didn't have my team in it. Yeah, I I, I agree, and I, I'm glad I'm a, I'm trying to spend m- most of the time in the Central Time Zone because you just can't make these goddamn games in the Eastern Time Zone. It just start too late. Right, right. You know, and no. it takes too long. And I, you know, and it, they study it and they say if you do that, you don't get a West Coast audience. You can't do the afternoon, and I understand that. But I, I, a lot of people on the East Coast like me miss. A lot of good late inning baseball because you just can't you can't prop your eyes open. No. Okay, let's go playoffs. Go MLB. Hey James, I first knew Barney Frank over fifty years ago when, as chief of staff to Mayor Kevin White, he was the second most powerful figure in the city of Boston. He went on to a remarkable thirty-year congressional career, culminating as chairman of the House Banking Committee, co-author of the post-financial crisis Dodd-Frank banking reform measure. Few people understand the crazy quilt world of legislative politics or the leadership of Nancy Pelosi, as well as Barney Frank. Barney, thank you for joining us from Maine. Look, this is the Democrats' moment of truth. It looks like there's total chaos now, rancor, as you would say, with the Biden domestic agenda on the brinks, sniping from both sides, no margin for error. How do you think this legislative sausage making is going to play out? I'm basically optimistic. I spent Thursday in the cloakroom talking to people, and it is true. It's hard to see exactly how it happens. I, but basic forces are, are an issue. The positive side is 
first of all, is it Samuel Johnson, uh, the, the imminence of death concentrates the mind. There can't be a Democrat who does not understand how essential a successful outcome to a great degree is to the Democrats surviving. In fact, I can't remember a case, seriously, where the, where the stakes were so great, win or lose. If the Democrats can carry through a substantial percentage of what they're talking about, it's not only very good public policy, good for the country, good for fairness, but I think it has the potential to make a serious dent in this kind of xenophobic populism. I think we've been in a vicious cycle in which inequality is making people crazy, but they get so crazy that they won't support public programs to diminish inequality because they're so angry at government. And COVID, paradoxically, I think has given us a chance to get out of this. COVID has created a potential for, for constructive government action, which if we can take it, can can return us, get rid of this whole Reaganite government's the problem. So victory is not just good in the near term and for public policy. I think it's it's existentially good for democracy. Defeat, on the other hand, it's a wipeout for the Democrats. Given that, and given one other thing, the differences are not ideological on the whole. We're not talking about abortion or the war in Vietnam or race or any of those issues. We're talking dollars, which is theoretically compromisable. And my conversations Thursday lead me to think, yeah, enough people understand that. And I understand people holding out to get leverage. But I, I really believe that given the stakes in terms of public policy, given the electoral stakes, the stakes for democracy, this is a chance to show that democracy really works. I think in the end, and the, and the skills of, of Nancy Pelosi, and I'm impressed with Chuck Schumer and of Joe Biden, uh, all of those together, I believe they will work something out. Barney, uh, you were in the cloakroom. You know some of these people. You serve with some of them. Do you worry a little bit more about this, you know, I hate these terms, but the so-called moderates or the so-called progressive um, wings? Um, in the House, I worry more about the progressives. In the Senate, I worry about Kristen Sinema. Frankly, I have a harder time figuring her out than Joe Manchin. I, you know, I disagree some with Manchin, but my friends have to understand if Joe Manchin weren't in the United States Senate, we wouldn't be in this fight. It'd be 51-49. I mean, at this point, frankly, if you ask me, whose defeat would do more damage to to the Democrats' chances, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Joe Manchin, it would be Joe Manchin. Uh, he'll be replaced by a conservative Republican. Um, so I, I but I, I, I can't figure out, cinema troubles me. Uh, I also say, I can't believe Joe Manchin wants to go into the minority. He's a chairman. I hope that would be true of cinema. In the House, I am troubled in the longer term by by the uh, those most on the left. I, I, you know, there was a uh, you guys knew Jack Newfield, and he had a great line in yeah. the '60s about the New Democratic Coalition, the uh, the Reform Democrats, and all they want to do is fight primaries against Democrats who are somewhat less liberal than they are, but still pretty liberal. And he said, oh, I know what NDC stands for. November doesn't count. And I worry about that <laughs> mentality. Um, yeah. and, and here's the thing. I think many of them make this big mistake. They under, 
they overestimate the support we have for for these issues. I agree with them on a number of issues, but they think that they are more popular than they are. I think they heard us in 20 with their emphasis on Medicare for all and defund the police and uh, the Green New Deal. Biden was sufficiently prominent to make it clear he didn't buy those things. Um, and so, yeah, I do worry uh, about a, a handful on the left who are, frankly, maybe a little less interested in, in power. You know, the, the example I wish they would follow is the most pleasant surprise to me of this so far this year is Bernie Sanders. I think Sanders, by the way, illustrates that that argument that power corrupts gets it backwards. Impotence corrupts. I think Bernie Sanders being in a position of responsibility is showing a great deal of, of, of uh, seriousness. So I worry about cinema and I worry about uh, some of those on, on the furthest left in the House. Given that, my, my bottom line is if they can get cinema and Manchin to agree on some number that's somewhere in the two trillions, symbolically, whatever, it's not going to be three, partly you deal with that by cutting down the years, um, then I believe there's a vote, vote for it in the House. So at this point, it does seem to me to come down to, to Manchin and cinema, and I worry most about her. Barney, let me ask you one more question before turning it over to James. You served in the House for almost a quarter century with Nancy Pelosi, but critically, you served with her during those four years and those two years that you, you were the banking committee chairman. How does she work her magic? First of all, she is very, very smart and understands substance and politics very well. Another factor, by the way, and shouldn't be ignored, I've felt this, um, she couldn't lose in her district no matter what happens. That's very important. One of the qualifications for leadership should be you don't go into leadership in a legislative body unless you've got 15 or 20 percent you could lose in the next election because you can't be worried very much about your own uh, situation. And then she is she has no ego in, in particular and she is ready and patient and understanding of what motivates other people. Uh, I, that's the skill she's got, which is, as I said, she understands the substance, she understands what motivates people, and just works full-time at, uh, at, at bringing it together. She clearly is, first of all, you know, it's obvious, she's the first speaker since Tip O'Neill who's going to go out of office with her reputation enhanced and not trashed. And beyond that, I mean, she's one of the most able officials in, in, in American history. By the way, one of the things that's very helpful is she and Chuck Schumer are friends from 20 years ago when they were in the House together. And so there's an absolute absence of that House-Senate conflict, which is sometimes a factor. But it comes out, Nancy is just a very smart politician who understands politics, who understands substance, understands how to get along with people, and has uh, is ready to do whatever is necessary to, to make it happen. James. So, Congressman, kind of, we're a similar generation. We've had completely different, on, on, we don't need to go into it, different experiences from a different part of the country. Uh, we have different, different experiences growing up, adults, everything else. I, I got to tell you, I don't agree with everything you said. I think what you said, I agree so much you can't fucking imagine, all right? And the thing 
that 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 you have it's the same thing I fear is it about Senator Cinema. No one, you know, if you know, everybody, people know Senator Manchin, all right? People know, they even know AOC. They know people. And I, I just have this great fear that she has something against the Democratic Party or something against the United States. And she could literally pull the pin on the grenade. I don't think, I don't think Senator Manchin would do that. Not, not, you know, he, he would negotiate his position. We'd have to, you know, move and do things. I completely agree with you on Bernie Sanders. Totally agree. He is a patriotic American. But I don't, I don't know, in, in, I don't know anybody that knows her. James, I agree. I really say, you, you neglected to mention one thing we have in common, which okay. is the inability of a lot of people physically to understand us. We have, diction. <laughs> we have diction in common. We do. Um, we do. We may but... wind up translating. Beyond that, right. though, on cinema, look, I have no reason to think she's anti-American. I do think what I hear is that she's got a sense of uh, wanting to define herself and, and, and be very important. To be honest, I worried a little bit, well, is she going to become, uh, would she even leave the party? But I, I, I'll be honest, I think abortion uh it's such an important issue to her for, for legitimate reasons, and there, there's no room for that in the Republican Party. And she did vote for the for for the uh, basic budget thing. So uh, I I worry. I I think there's some ego function there. But she can't two things. She can't be interested in going into the minority. And again, I think on social issues, there's no way uh, she could she could become a Republican. And beyond that, um, you know, Joe Manchin's the only Democrat who could win in West Virginia, and people should oh. understand that. Um, but I, if Cinema is the one who blows this up, she clearly loses her next primary in Arizona. There wouldn't be any question about that. So, yeah, I, I, I told Senator Manchin that you're an Italian Catholic Democrat in West Virginia. If we don't have you, we have Marsha Blackman. Yeah. <laughs> That's the choice, okay? It's not going to— It's not even close, of course. <laughs> yeah. And he's been very good on stuff. And, and, and I, for all I know, I don't, I don't know Senator Cinema. I, I, she had some background in, in, in local government, all right? So she, she obviously has some idea what coalitions is. But with everything—and I, I, I think that—, that the uh, AOC at, at, at her core is patriotic, as, as I think that some of the people in the moderate caucus are, and I know, I know for certainly that the speaker is, and she has a skill to do this. But, but we're at a point right now where one person is literally in a position which no government or democracy should be in, where maybe our success or failure of this whole experiment is on, is on the backs of one person who we, none of us know. James, I agree, and that's why I say the stakes are so great because yeah. victory kind of, kind of vindicates government. I mean, COVID, government came to the rescue uh, right. for COVID, and this is a chance to really demonstrate that and, and turn a vicious cycle where people are so angry at government, they vote for people who aren't going to let government do anything, into a virtuous circle where people really get the benefits. One side thing, I want to I, I, I want to talk about one of my favorite uh, bet noir, which are these moderate Republicans who were never there when you need them. I'm sitting here in Maine, and I have to say to my fellow Mainers now, you're part of this problem because you sent Susan Collins back when you shouldn't have. And if Susan Collins had not been, was not the <laughs> senator, then Kirsten Cinema would not be very important. 
literally, this is a lesson for people about moderate Republicans who make nice noises, uh, but but they remind me of something my father used to say. They'll give you ice in the winter, and uh, we get nothing from them when we need them. But I, yeah, to summarize, if you told me that Christian Cinema was now ready to agree to $2.4 trillion in addition to the 1.9, I would say, okay, the deal's done. Because I do believe there's a solid majority in the House under Nancy's leadership to accept anything that's, that's substantial uh, of a reconciliation if it goes through the Senate. And that's uh, Cinema and Manchin. And I have, as James said, you know, more confidence in him. Look, he's a guy who represents poor people. And I, I do believe that is a major motivation for him. The one thing I thought, frankly, was very unfair, the New York Times had a really stupid article attacking Manchin because he's pro-coal, because he owns coal stock. I don't know what they think, who they think would be elected from West Virginia and be anti-coal. I don't care if he was a, a, a Trappist monk. It has nothing to do with his own economics. It's he's representing a state that he cares about, people he cares about. And that's just an example of the unfairness, it seems to me, that uh, some on the left are, are imposing on him. No, I, 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 man, I, you know what? Tell your husband if I saw you, I'd kiss you. So don't get jealous. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> totally, I cannot think of anybody that ever said what I was thinking any clearer better than you oh, did. Oh, what a great, that's you, very flattering, James. It's Thank true. You. No, it's true. It's true. I could even translate for both of you, uh, Barney. I, I think. Um, I, I think one mistake. I think the White House has done very well in these first nine months on this issue. The one thing that sort of sort of upsets me, they keep talking about a $3.5 trillion bill, and that's kind of become the mantra. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that I really blame the press for this, too. I mean, I'm more, much more interested in a big bill that would give universal pre-care, that would give, you know, home health care workers uh, some kind of an income, that would do something on climate, that would, you know, extend uh, uh, Medicaid uh, and, and Medicare benefits and other things. I think the number uh, has become, you know, un the, the linchpin. And the press is guilty of this, too. Jim Fallows, the great Jim Fallows in Substack, has a great piece on this. It, it is both the number fixation rather than what's in it and also the kind of mindless even-handedness on it. The point, by the way, too, Alice, I don't even know. No, nobody, maybe the budget director knows. Three point five trillion over how long? This is not right. People tend to think of it as a one year thing. And that's one of the things that Speaker Pelosi mentioned is look, one way you deal with this, you get it down below three point five, because you, you you don't stretch it out as far. You don't you know it's because of reconciliation you do in ten year tranches. This isn't three point five trillion or anything close to in the year. You're gonna be spending this over time. So I agree. Uh, one the, the three point five has become kind of a, a totem, both positive and negative, get down into the twos, but talk about what you're doing and over what time frame. Yeah, uh, I mean, because there's so much stuff in there that is popular. I didn't mention lowering drug prices. Uh, it's all popular. Can I just say one of the things that I think we're in a big transition. I'm writing a book. I sent my thing off to the agent. I think um, two things have to be done. For the mainstream liberals, we have to connect the dots. We have to not just talk about the good folks, but we do say, by the way, this is government. You know, no more keep Medicare or government off of uh, Medicare. But what some of our friends on the left 
you asked me about in the house have to understand is we now, those of us who believe in these things, have a whole that is smaller than the sum of the parts. If you go program by program by program, they're popular. If you bulk them all together in a three trillion huge government, people start to get nervous. And so part of it is you unpack this and you go forward this way. And that's the argument, of course, for incrementalism. As you do some of these things, they'll become popular and you can do more of them. But I agree that that 3.5 is, is, is not worth it, It's wrong. It's not very good description. Nobody knows how many years. And we should be talking substance. Barney, let me just ask you one thing about your uh, your former role as chair of the banking committee. You know a lot about the Federal Reserve. Uh, should Biden reappoint Jay Powell? Yeah, in fact, uh, Chris Dodd and I wrote an article saying that. Um, Powell did go along with some relaxations of some parts of our bill. Um, I will say this, though. He's accepted the basics of it. I'm very proud, Chris and I, that, that people have generally accepted the basics. But the most important thing about Powell right now is this. He's on the right side of what I say is the existential issue. That is the role of government. Powell has, is an enabler. A lot of the Republicans don't like him. It's interesting. I bet you some of the Republicans who voted for him the first time will vote against confirming him if he's reappointed, as I hope he is, because he's an enabler of this multi-trillion dollar, this big package. He's the one who says, no, don't worry about inflation yet. It is not shown to be a problem. We need the stimulus. I think Powell is on the, as a Trump appointee, a Republican business guy, he's on the right side of this fundamental question of an affirmative role for government. Uh, as far as the uh, regulations concerned, the changes he made were not fundamental. Plus, the Biden people will have tough regulators in every other position, including the position we created of the uh, vice chair of the Fed for, for supervision. So, yeah, uh, I was very pleased with Chris to say strongly, it's very much in the interest of this major issue of getting this package through and reestablishing the country's confidence in government and democracy. Jay Powell's a big part of that. Wish you could persuade your former Bay State uh, neighbor, uh, Elizabeth Warren, of that. But, uh, yeah, in fact, when her, in her statement, she kind of, not, she pointed at what I said and disagreed. And I think she's wonderful and I'm glad to <laughs> support her. But... Uh, uh, I think she's just wrong on this. I James. think she's got a posture. So, so one of the hundreds, maybe thousands of these kind of corporate speeches I give, just a dickweed stands up and he says, Jim, you know, Cooper and everything called me Jim, I know where that's coming. He said, you, you know, you Democrats, you want to smell as much infrastructure, you know, and it, 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 you, you, but you don't want to pay for it. You want to give the cost to future generations. And I said, you goddamn right we do. Because who's going to use the bridge? Not me, my children. Why don't they pay for it? It's idiotic for me to pay at 77 years old to pay for something that's going to be built in, in, in another 10 years that's going to be used for another 100 years. And by the way, we're borrowing money at 1. I don't know, 1% or whatever it is. It's, just, it's idiotic. The and whole the purpose way, James, of the argument is stupid. People talk about running it like a business government. Well, it's not a business, but if it was, we would take out mortgages. We would issue bonds. The federal government's the only entity that pays for everything the year that it is purchased, even if it's going to be used forever. It's like saying, well, you can't take out a 30-year mortgage on your house because your grandchildren might have to pay for it. It's absolutely right. Some of this stuff the stuff is immediately spent. Some of it is serious investment. And by the way, if you talk about increasing productivity, 
People talk a lot about productivity. It's often mumbo-jumbo. But make it easier for people to get around. Make it easier for us to ship goods. Make it easier for people to travel. That increases productivity. So this is an investment in, in a lot of ways. I, I, I couldn't agree more, but I just, you, you know, I'm, I don't want to pay for the goddamn bridge. Let my kid, let my grandchildren pay for it, all right? And hopefully they'll use it every goddamn day, all right? Or, 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 or anything else. But I, I, I'm going to get back to Albert. I, I, I just don't, our party was just so lucky to have you. And you're not just grasp of policy, but you're understanding of politics, which motivates people and how to help people. It's it, it, it really amazing. And I appreciate the fact that you are like me, that you believe that plain English, you know, the, the, the language of the streets of Boston are much more effective in communicating than the language of the faculty lounge at Harvard or Tufts or BC or BU and any of those other places up there. Not to, not to mention Bayonne, New Jersey. But uh, Barney Frank, there has, uh, I have never known uh, a more effective congressman. Alan Greenspan, the very conservative Fed chairman, I one time asked him, you know, who do you most like to testify before? Uh, 30 years of doing this, he said, Barney Frank. It surprised me. I said, why? I said, because he's so smart that, that you, you really are challenged. And uh, that was your reputation. It was well-deserved. Your legacy is incredible, and you're still at it, and I can't wait to read that book. Thank you, guys. Invite me back. I'll be glad to come. Uh, we will, for we sure. We will, for sure. Thank you. Thank you, Barney. Man, I can't wait to listen to this program. I want to listen oh, to Barney me. again. Neither me. That was so much fun. I mean, I'm, I just, I just never seen a person. It's kind of weird with a more similar worldview that I have to him. You know, James earlier was kind enough to say that I knew a lot about that legislative, that dance of legislation. But when you got Michelangelo uh, uh, doing it, you don't want to interfere. But I, I still didn't get to this. All kinds of things I wanted to ask him about the debt ceiling and, you know, yeah. implications. Yeah. We're gonna, you and I are going to have to have a talk. You know, you're going to have to explain some of this to, to our listeners. But I got so enamored with Barney. Oh. That I, I didn't, I didn't want to go into technical weeds, but we're going to have to. Our discussion next week is going to have to be what is yeah. it, taking people through what this all this all this means and where it is. And yeah, I, no, I completely I agree. agree with him on cinema. We know Mansion, okay? Yeah. No one knows this fucking woman. No, he's absolutely you know? right, and he's right in the left, and he's right on Jay Powell too. I don't know why the Biden White House is delaying on that. They're just letting. People like Warren, you know, build up. I mean, just goddamn I, I appointed. Think Warren is just doing what she. I, I, yeah, I, that's my her base. guess. Is yeah. she's got to do that? You yeah. know, I mean, she's, yeah. she don't have much into it. And the other thing that Barney said that I completely agree with is fucking Bernie Sanders has been exemplary in all yeah. of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. has been. Hey, now we want to tell you about a delicious meal service that's the highlight of our home menus this fall, HelloFresh. Thanks to HelloFresh, eating healthier has never been easier. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, from vegetarian and the calorie smart to extra special gourmet options. And their fall harvest is officially on, so you can save time you'd otherwise spend meal planning, shopping, and shopping, and get back to what matters. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. And it all travels from the farm to your front door in less than a week. HelloFresh also gives you the flexibility you need to easily customize your order on the app within minutes. 
and you can change your delivery day, food choices, and plan size, or skip a week whenever you need to. So skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. James, you are a, when it comes to food, you are a gourmet and you love HelloFresh. Right. And the thing that I like most about food is seasonality. And and what this does is you're talking about what's available in the fall, their dishes are going to be geared toward that. That there's nothing better to me than a peach that tastes like a peach. There's nothing worse to me than a peach that tastes like a piece of cardboard, all right? And when, when you have a company of, of this size and this kind of resources and this kind of skill that's able to put these meals together and send them to you using produce and products that are in season, you know, there's some rice you can always use, but some of those stuff, and they're very good at matching that up. And, you know, it, it's not only good, it, 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 you know, exactly what you put in your body. If people say, I don't take the vaccine because I don't know what's in it. When they drink, they take a sip of Mountain Dew, like you know what the fuck did a Mountain Dew, all right? You know, everything that is in this, you know what you're putting in your body, you know how much sodium you have, you know what the fat content is, you know what the fiber content is. You know everything, and but better than anything else, it's going to taste good. Yep, it sure does. So eat better with HelloFresh today. Go to HelloFresh.com slash WarRoom14 and use code WARROOM14, that's all one word, for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. For America's number one meal kit, remember, go to HelloFresh.com slash WARROOM14 and use code WARROOM14 for up to 14 free meals, which includes free shipping. We also will include the link in our show notes. Hey, James, once again, great questions from our listeners. I love our audience out there. They are so smart. Uh, The only problem we have is that there are more good questions than we have time to get to, but keep them coming and we'll get to some others next week. Chris in Scranton, Pennsylvania wants to ask whether the Lincoln Project and other similar organizations, anti-Trump Republicans, would be more effective in keeping Trumpism out of our system if they use their money and media skills to identify competitive races in purple districts or states, get a rational conservative on the ticket as a third-party candidate, and drain as much support away from the Trumpian candidate as possible. Well, first of all, I love Scranton. (laughs) Lackawanna County, you know, one of the one of the, the great places in the United States. I have so many friends in there. You know, that's an idea that's worth exploring. I mean, if to just go, you know, against the Democrat, maybe the backlash against the Democrat is so hard, but if you could siphon off three or four percent, you could make a difference. I, I, I would not, that's not an idea I would like just automatically discard. I, I would say it has some merit, and even if it has limited application, you know, three House seats is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or Senate seats somewhere, maybe. I agree with a slight modification. I think there are areas where there are what, whatever we call moderate Democrats, say if Connor Lamb right. is uh, right. the nominee in Pennsylvania, where the anti-Trump Republicans, the Lincoln Project, could credibly try to help get as much Republican support as they could for Connor Lamb. 
If on the, but I think their main objective, they want to reclaim the party at some point. They have to defeat the Trump candidates. So if that lieutenant governor, who's a Bernie lefty, gets their Democratic nomination, then maybe you go the, you know, try to get right. a conservative, you know. Both our person from Scranton and the person from the main line, maybe <laughs> Albert Hunt, have made it. But it's not a, it's not a kind of thing about, no, you know, it, 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 it has limited application, but, you know, limit, you know, limit can help some. If you're an anti-Trump Republican, the most important thing in the world is for Trump candidates to lose in 2022. Uh, and you may be helping elect Democrats whose policies and votes and views you won't agree with often. But but if you ever want to have any chance of uh, limiting the Trump influence on that party, which is a, a reach to begin with, you have to defeat those candidates next time. James, the next question is from Michael in Louisville, Louisville, Colorado. I don't know. I've never, never heard of Louisville, Colorado. Have I, you? Yeah, I have. Have you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, th- I, th- I think it's in the mountains. I, I, it? I could be wrong, but I think it is. Uh, anyway, Michael asked a really good question. The independent legislature doctrine would give state legislatures the ability to overrule election results. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that Trump will run again in 2024 and these legislatures could make sure he wins in those swing states. With a 6-3 conservative majority in the Supreme Court, Trump could be erected. Could be reelected, could be elected if they take this route. He would appreciate your thoughts. And by the way, Michael says he loves the show and he loves Magic Spoon. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, uh, Magic All Spoon. Right. You know, Michael, you have put your finger on a very important issue. And I know there are a number of really top Democrats who were involved in those contests, those phony contests after November three, the phony Trump challenges. Who said what Trump probably should have done and what worried them was instead of going the court route, they should have gone the state legislature route. And if you look at that Georgia and that Arizona state legislature uh, and maybe even Pennsylvania and Michigan, they would cheat. They would put the fix in. And I think if they pass so-called S-1, I call it the Fred Wertheimer voting rights bill, that would help. But it surely wouldn't assure that that couldn't be done. That is a real danger you put your finger on. Yeah. Okay. so I'm not sure for the Louisville and Colorado, but when you talk about L-O-U-I-S-V-I-L-L-E in Kentucky, it's not Louisville, it's Louisville, okay? It's just, it's a, and I'm sure they, they pronounce it different in Colorado, but, that, but that's a kind of a sticking point. You know, I, I just can't believe, you know, but, but of course we'll see, because we saw Bush v. Gore, which I think is the root of all evil in the country, as you know. If they were to do that, in, I understand the Constitution has some kind of provisions. I, 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 even the most hardened Republican court, now they may very well do this, but boy, there's some real equal protection problems under the 14th Amendment there, or, or, or anything that, 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 you, that, that you can think of to make arguments. And let, let's just assume that the 2020 election has a, a Similar outcome is, I mean, 2024, a similar outcome is 2020. And, and the Michigan legislature, which, by the way, to their credit, they appoint this guy, McBroom, who was a Republican state senator from the Upper Peninsula, and they wrote a report and said the election was, you know, as far as elections go, was totally on up and up. Uh, you don't have that. I mean, you know, you got the Secretary of State of Georgia, to some extent, even the governor. That wouldn't, you know, they got to get everybody, they got to get. Everybody go along with this. And it might be slightly harder 
than you think, but it's worth worrying about. Let me, I promise you, it's worth worrying about. Sure you is. Know, the, the, and, one and of the things that, Alito uh, is the, the guy that takes cases uh, from, I guess, the District of Columbia or something like that. And Sidney Powell said one of the things he wanted to accomplish on January the 6th was that Alito would give an order stopping them from enough time for him to give an order. Now, Sidney Powell's crazy, so I, I, I can't tell you about many things she says, but that was according to her part of the strategy. I think Alito, Alito would do would that. Do I think it would be, James, it would, it, if this happens and it goes to the court, it would really be a real test of Amy Coney Barrett's claim that she's not a partisan hack. Oh, shit. So, well, I mean, but that's it. You, you know, if, if this happens and it goes to the court, you know, I, you, you can't rule out the fact that, uh, that a number of conservatives in this court would tolerate if, that kind of stuff. If Amy Coney Barrett goes to the Mitch McConnell Center, right, and starts complaining about people thinking the court is, is partisan, I don't, I, don't think, I, I don't think she has a single clue of what anybody's life is about. I, I think that woman has led a, a sheltered life, hanging around with people who think just like her and can't imagine that someone would have a thought different than hers. Of course she's not political. She is a principled, you know, deeply... Yeah, well, that's... Faithful, but, but we're not, right we're not, wing, we're not yeah. talking about Justice Barrett here. We're talking about whether the court would overturn... Yeah. Efforts by state legislatures. I, and I, I, these, I, I, I think you right. got to worry about it. You do. Yeah. You do. Alito would do anything. Right. And, and as well, okay. Thomas. And Thomas, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't, don't shit. You don't care. Hey, we got another Pennsylvanian, James. Spring City, Pennsylvania. You know it? I don't no, know. I'm, stum I'm stumped. Are you, that, that's shame on me. You yeah, me too. As a native, I don't know it, but it's a big state. This is from Joy. She says, the only question I keep asking is, you're going to love this one, James. This is, this, is, this is the fastball coming right down the middle for you. Why Republicans are happily embracing authoritarianism and rejecting democracy? What's in it for them? Because they can't win under democracy. It, this, is a, this is something that every listener to this podcast understand this deeply. They have calculated, they have been told that if we had a world anything approximating free and fair elections. In other words, that, that is, we, we tried to, to, to enhance the, as many qualified voters as we can to have them vote, and we had anything approaching, you know, just congressional districts or state legislative districts or anything like that, we would be wiped out. And you know what would happen if, if that happened? then the non-white horde would come to the country. And we would just turn the country over to people who didn't help build this country, that people are not like us. And so in order to maintain our hold on power, we, it, we, are, we are permitted to cheat all we want because we're trying to save America from, from you know, the immigrants and the people that live in the cities and the, sec and the secularists and, and, and the, the college professors and, and people that just want something for nothing. And we're not going to do that. We're patriotic people. And if it takes authoritarianism, you know, you want the Weimar Republic or you want, you know, the, the German economy of, you know, whatever. All right. I'm sorry. You can't compare anything. But 
Well, you that, can that compare it to Eastern Europe. You can compare it to yes. what's happened in Poland, what happens in Hungary, uh, and, 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 and read Anne Applebaum's book, and you see right, that. But uh, I, 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 yeah, authoritarianism—that—that's the way it does. Is that yeah. we're in pursuit of a, of, of a idea that is more noble than democracy itself. Look, Mike Lee, who is you know leading intellectual right over there, said the idea is not. Democracy, the idea is liberty, the liberty to discriminate who you want to discriminate against and make as much money as you want without having to pay any taxes. And so if, if it takes, if, if it in furtherance of their definition of liberty as opposed to some definition of democracy, then they say they're in the right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James, the next question uh, is from John. I love these cities, Sea Ranch, California. And John says, did Trump, really just forced Texas to recount the 2020 election, a state he won? I know, John says, that he's mentally ill, but how stupid is this? Is this just part of him raising money from his worshipers? Of course it is, John. Everything he does is a scam. And so, therefore, he's doing the same. He'll do it in Texas. If he wants, he'll do it in Florida. You know what the Santas will say? He'll say, jump, Ron DeSantis, and the Santas will have to say, how high? The whole thing is a scam. All right, I, I think it's I have a little bit different view. All right, it was four counties, and they like call the, the people. They call them county. When you see, they don't. The press doesn't clarify. There's a county judge in Texas, is like the county commissioner in Pennsylvania. All right, and they're like, what the hell are we talking about? The reason that he does that is the same reason that you, if you have a dog that can, you know, sit on two feet and beg for something, you know. And you watch it, and you kind of enjoy it. He just he just enjoys watching Greg Abbott do whatever the fuck he tells him to do. It just he he just enjoys his power to have that man make a fool of himself. And he 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 he's like that. He's an inherently cruel man that likes to make fun of people, that likes the people to be subservient to him. And he's got him. And Greg Abbott is so scared to death of him to do anything he wants. Yeah. I agree. He also he also loves to raise money off of this stuff too, as he does oh, everything. Yeah. So the, the whole thing is a scam. Yeah, I mean, that he likes being he loves being cruel to people. He does. I mean, that's his basic yes. nature. This is Pennsylvania uh, week. Uh, this is Michelle in Philadelphia, though, who says I think this, I know what that is. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. Uh, you know, the Phillies. Uh, poor Dan Max, they're about to blow it again. But anyway, Michelle, I asked, she says she's got deep concerns about police brutality. But at the same time, she knows Philadelphia has had 400 murders in 2021 on pace to be an all-time high. She says there is a need for better, fairer policing, but police officers, officers and other public safety professionals are necessary and important. Boy, you are right, Michelle, particularly sure. to those distressed communities. But James, she wants to know, what are your thoughts on the push by some to defund Democrats who advocate for defunding the police. Uh, well, I'm very clear. It's the most jackass thing I've heard in my life. But then again, if you saw, like, it was Tim Scott and Cory Booker were going to work on this. And, of course, the idea was is that to receive federal grants, you had to institute a certain amount of training and have certain benchmarks. Of course, Tim Scott, because... He's a Republican. Has totally backed out of it, and is now accusing it of being defund the police. You're not dealing with honest people. You're not dealing with honest brokers. You got to read the story on Tim Scott in the police reform. Now, that's not. They're not saying 
defunded police officers if you want these grants and maybe you could get people accelerate grant and by the way my plan would be you need better screening and better training you know Philadelphia being a good example you know we, we see all these police officers that are in the January the 6th thing well, yeah they're not going to be very 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 sensitive to people's civil liberties or anything but I, I completely agree with her there was actually a, a real effort that, that Senator Cory Booker was a part of with Tim Scott, the, the, you know, and now Tim Scott, of course, has totally run away with it. He's never heard of it. It's all a gigantic conspiracy. They James, James let me interrupt for a sec, because what she's really asking is there are some people who said Democrats ought to defund those who advocate defunding. Uh, and my view is that I think defunding the police is a crazy idea. I think it hurt Democrats in 20. If, they, uh, if they're able to pin it on them, it'll hurt again. I don't think the party should defund anybody for a particular point of view. I think that's a bad strategy. It's a big tent, and I think that's not the right approach. Despite- right. And if you, you, you listen to these people, say, well, what we're saying is reorient. A lot of people, it makes sense. They shouldn't. More, more policemen are killing domestic squabbles. You know, why, why, why not send social workers to that? That might, that might be a good idea. I don't know. You know, yeah. or deal yeah. with the mentally ill people. Some of the defund the police people have a very complicated view of it. And I, I kind of agree with you. you. You know, the Democratic Party is a big party, and we can absorb even bad ideas. Right. Peter in Arlington, Virginia, says the polling in Virginia shows a tight race for governor. Four years ago, this was the story, and weeks before uh, Northam, but he ended up running away with it. Should we take this tightening seriously? Peter, I'm afraid, yes. There was a final debate last night between Terry McAuliffe and and Glenn Youngkin. Uh, I don't know it was very conclusive. Uh, I I think polls show a virtually dead-even race, maybe a slight tilt to Terry. It's going to depend on who comes out, and it's going to depend on enthusiasm. And whether Yunkin last night said, yeah, we ought to have we ought to have mandates for measles and mumps and which all schools do, but not for COVID now because the data is different. Well, I'm sorry. Let me give you the data, Mr. Yunkin. Six hundred and seventy five thousand Americans have died from COVID. Okay, and there is conclusive data, data, Mr. Yunkin, that shows that vaccines are an important factor in limiting, reducing, or eliminating that threat. But James, it's, it's right now, five weeks out. This is, a, uh, this is almost a toss-up. Uh, this is something I happen to know a good deal about, and you're exactly right. It's, it's, it's very tight, public polls, private polls, everything. And people do point to the fact that Northam was very tight in 2017. The difference is Trump was in the White House, now Biden is. Right. I, I don't see it breaking that way again. And I, when you're watching, we're talking to uh, Congressman Borny Frank. By the way, to say that Borny is an ex-former Congress, like saying that Peyton Manning or Drew Brees are former football players. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. But but uh, 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 Bill Russell is former. But 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 the point here is, I don't expect that we're going to get a late break because people were sort of appalled and want to send Washington. We might get a late break against us because people want to send Washington a message. It, it, I, th- I think that if they get a, a, a deal through and show some that they're moving the ball down the field, I think Terry's better better than 50-50 to win. 
If they don't, he's worse than 50-50 to lose. Yeah, that, that's I agree. at stake here. I you mean, know, he, he Christian Sinema might have as much to do with this election as, as anybody. Well, McAuliffe has been hurt a little bit uh, by Joe Biden's dropping popularity, and that'll be affected by whether they get a deal done or not. So when a, right. a little bit matters in a race like this. Uh, James, a final question. Tony in Jacksonville, Florida, says, this is James again. I mean, man, we are giving you uh, some great pitches tonight. Why must we continue to wax poetic? about how masterful Mitch McConnell is and not call out the Republicans for not doing their jobs. They've shown we can't shame them. They're collecting their paychecks for doing nothing but obstructionism, including on issues like the debt ceiling. So, so first of all, I got to tell you, Jacksonville is one of my favorite places, but they've done along that St. John's River. Oh. It's, 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 a, it's a very scenic place. It is. And Ponte I think Vigil people don't, don't feel, yeah, it, 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 it really is. Look, first of all, McConnell is masterful. I mean, I mean, not not masterful at, at at you know being obsequious to rich people and power and money, but tactically, I, I wish he was on our side. You know, I mean, he holds that that caucus together. He's he's bad dude. I mean, he he just took it on his own to change the composition of the Supreme Court, and. Uh, but but you can't. I don't think anyone would argue that that he's not good at what he does. No, but he's irresponsible uh, to a degree okay, we've yeah. rarely rarely seen in a, in a congressional leader. You know, yeah, maybe I agree with exempting that. Totally. I mean, the but, idea that he says, "Of course, we have to pass the debt ceiling. It's imperative for the country. Let Democrats do it." Uh, right. You know, that's just uh, he is effective, uh, and he's also uh, a cheap partisan. But who? <laughs> And a man that, frankly, could give a shit less about the average ordinary American. Yeah, yeah. That ain't, that's, not, yep. that's not in his wheelhouse. He doesn't right. spend time with him. He doesn't have anything to do with him. He doesn't care what happens to him or anything else. He, he, he is a, he, he worships at the altar of power. Yeah, he does. Well, keep those questions coming. And I just want to make one program note. We've gotten several listeners writing in saying, what's happened to the Ivy League Sphincter Hall of Fame. The ballots are coming in. I want to assure you all that within the next week or two, there will be a new class inducted. But, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of qualified candidates for that Ivy League Sphincter Hall of Fame. And we'll be back to you within the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. In fact, it was kind of funny because we had a conversation about it. And, you know, when, well, let's get our, uh, our listeners in. So come send them in here because we're, we're open because we're ready to bring a new class up. Absolutely. Okay, James, the outrage of the week. You know, we always knew that among the many, many lies that Trump told was that he had this great regard for veterans, the vets. This was the guy, of course, who trashed John McCain because he was he was captured. But it's worse. Emails released this week by the House Veterans and Oversight Committee revealed that Trump saw the Veterans Administration as a profit center. He dispatched three lackeys to get patient records of nine million veterans, and then they were going to sell them for a profit. It's not clear whether this patently illicit privacy invasion ever materialized. We will find that out. But only a really sick, pathetic person would try to profit by veterans' medical records. But, James, we used to have this segment where we'd argue about how low can Trump go. 
It is a continuing contest. It hasn't ended. This is another low. There probably will be others. Are you sure this is true? I am. I am. The the House Oversight Committee, uh, Veterans Committee, put it out the other day. Remember they asked, maybe it was more detailed when they said vaccination. That question is in violation of HIFA or HIFA or something. Yeah. All right. I, 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 okay, all right. There's very little that he could do that would stun me. I, for some reason, I didn't see the story. God Almighty, man! This is so, this is. I think it was on Yahoo News, several places. But he tasked three Mar-a-Lago associates to sort out the VA in seventeen, and to see if they could sell patient data on nine million vets for uh-huh. emails. Uh, like say, uh, it was it was a guy named the Marvel executive um, uh, Ike Perlmutter, Mark Sherman, a D.C. lawyer, and Dr. Bruce Moskowitz, uh, Moskowitz, a Palm Beach uh, physician. I think the story was actually broken by ProPublica. Well, that's good. So, you know, this, these anti-vax people, I think they're the biggest, like, I can't even get my arm around who they are and everything. And But they have come up with a brilliant idea. And I want to say I completely endorse this idea. They're saying to people, if you get COVID, don't go to the ICU. Great. Don't go. Please don't go. Get, and I think we should give them this Ivy, this horse pace, all right, that they're running out of, like in, in West Point, Mississippi, the veterinarian in the paper today. Take that, take beet juice, take hydroxychloroquine. I think we ought to give it to them. But just keep your sorry ass out of the ICU because other people need it. And this is something that I am 100% in agreement with. I'm 100% in accord you go, guys. You get your beet juice and get your horse paste and get your hydroxychloroquine and stay the hell out of there. So normal, hardworking, you know, responsible people can get the health care that they need. Right, so I'm, I'm with you on this so much you can't believe it. Yep. 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 Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you check out the link to our sponsor, HelloFresh, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting them. When you do, you help make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.